Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that looks at the inspiration, intention, and actionable steps to help you jumpstart joy in the world, in your life, and in other people's lives. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 174. This week's show is a solo cast, and it's all about if I could be a spaceship, why I would choose to be the Millennium Falcon. And no, I am not kidding. This is the topic for this week's podcast episode, and I am actually quite delighted to bring it to you. It's funny because it's a topic that sprung itself upon me a few months ago, and I thought, that's silly. I was wearing my very favorite Millennium Falcon t-shirt, and I realized, you know, if I could be a spaceship, I would totally choose to be the Falcon. So that's what this episode is going to be all about, and it's more of a reflective and an interesting deep dive into some of the characteristics of this great spaceship and I think you'll love it especially if you like Star Wars or if you like kind of whimsical discussions. (laughs) If you're new here I want to give you a big welcome and if you're returning I always love that you are tuning in. I hope that you're having a really great day. This is Paula and Jumpstart Your Joy is a weekly podcast that comes out on Tuesdays and it's usually about the inspiration, intention, and action that is involved with bringing joy into your everyday life. I'll say that my discussion about the Millennium Falcon really is kind of a retrospective on some of the inspiration that I get from the world around me. Some of the backstory here for me is that in college, I was a religious studies major at UC Santa Barbara, but what I was really deciding between was film studies and religious studies because I love the stories and the character arcs and the literature and, you know, the deepness of human nature that gets explained by both. And so it's really no surprise to me that I am looking at the Millennium Falcon this week. If you want to find out more about the show and look back on some of the other 173 episodes with lots of joy in them, you can find the website for the show at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And if you want to find show notes, because there will be, I will link back to some of the research. (laughs) Yes, I did research (laughs) on this show. You can find the show notes for this along with, I'm going to, I'll embed one of the videos that's just one of my favorite scenes um, that involves Han and the Falcon. And you can find it at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash Falcon. I know there is debate around how we say this name for the sake of hopefully being (laughs) offering some continuity here. I'm going to go with Falcon. Um, It is spelled like Falcon like the bird. And I'm choosing Falcon because I think that's what Han actually says when he first talks about it in A New Hope. And I will be pronouncing Han with the same ah sound. So there you go. They're going to match in this show. So let's just jump right in. You know, before we jump in, I do want to give a little bit of the groundwork that it was. And so as I start to explore this reason why I would choose to be the Millennium Falcon, if I could be any ship in the galaxy, I'm going to give a little bit of framework and background on the ship itself and a little bit about how it shows up in the Star Wars universe. If you haven't seen Star Wars, it might be worth going back to even see A New Hope, which is the one that came out first. It's the fourth in the franchise. But I'm going to depart kind of with the assumption that you know a little bit about the movie and the characters, uh, because in a short podcast, (laughs) there's not going to be time for me to give you the entire breadth of these stories. 
The first reason that I really find the Millennium Falcon to be important and noteworthy and why I might like to be it is that it is a named part of the Star Wars universe and it is a known part of the story along with the fact that it kind of has its own character development. So the part about it being named, many of the ships that we see in the universe are introduced by either the kind of ship they are, the make and model. So you have a TIE fighter, even X-Wing. Those things don't have names. I mean, they, they might have an individual name, but they don't. Most of the ships that we run into don't have a formal name. The Millennium Falcon itself was created by the Karelian Engineering Corporation, and its its official make and model is a YT-1300 Karelian light freighter. So it does have a make and model that gets introduced in the universe. It also has a name, the Millennium Falcon. So it becomes a thing that has a name, just like another character in the story. And I think this is notable because it doesn't happen that often. It's also kind of unusual in the larger kind of sci-fi genre. I mean, if you look at some of the bigger and some of my more favorite sci-fi ships, you have the Enterprise from Star Trek. It doesn't have a name. It's other than the name it's given by the fleet. You have Battlestar Galactica, which was one in the name of many Battlestars, which were all named after the cities that they represented or some of the 12 cities. So there's not a name, you know, they don't call it a friendly name. It's just called the Battlestar Galactica. The other ship that I will admit that I was very tempted to say that I might want to be is Serenity from the Firefly series. Now, the interesting thing, once I dug into that, because, you know, you really need to think about what spaceship you want to be before you do a podcast episode about it. Um, Yes, I'm making fun of myself, is that Serenity, the ship in Firefly, was created by Joss Whedon. And as Joss Whedon was looking at you know, ships, he actually took portions of the Millennium Falcon and modeled Serenity after that. So if you haven't seen the Firefly series, highly recommended. I love it. I also love Battlestar Galactica from beginning to end. Amazing. Not that big of a fan of the Star Trek universe. That's just not my thing. But so when we look at the Millennium Falcon, as I said, it's it's named, it's a known part of the story, and then it has a character and a development to a ship, which you very, very rarely see in a vehicle. And the thing that's really amazing to me is that the Millennium Falcon is given personality way beyond what it means to be a piece of transportation, you know, something that's transporting people only. And so that's what I want to explore here. And that's part of why if I could be a ship, I'd want to be the Falcon because it has a personality. Part of it is that it is used as currency in many ways throughout the films. To begin with, the way that it became Han Solo's ship, so he's the captain of the ship, and Chewbacca, who is a Wookiee, is the co-pilot. The way that this ship becomes Han Solo's is that he wins it in a game of Sabacc from Lando Calrissian. And Sabacc is a card game. The interesting thing here is that lots of times there's another sense of kind of currency that the Falcon brings with it. It is it has a reputation is what I mean. You know, it, it has a certain amount of clout to it. It's known as a really fast ship. It's traded later, it seems, when it uh, is found on Jakku. We discover that it was stolen several times, so it's got a value to it and was probably paying off debts that whole long way. And then it got junked and sold to a trader on Jakku, which is where Rey was found in The Force Awakens. So we know that this has this value system assigned to it, which isn't that unusual from like maybe how we would buy or sell a trade or trade a car. So it, 
that makes sense. But I think it's it's noted that it is valuable enough that it's paying off debts for many people across its lifetime. The other really interesting thing to me about its character is that it's a vehicle, but it's a vehicle in both the figurative and the literal sense of that word. So yes, it does move people from place to place in a physical means. And on another, on the more figurative level, it also provides the means by which Han Solo eventually escapes his roots on Corellia and is able to pay off the debt that he and Beckett acquired after a, another job went bad. But the ship itself becomes the means by which he, Han Solo, is, a, is able to escape his past, which was his really deepest desire, is to get off that rock with Kira. And it then allows him to become the smuggler that we know him as on when we first run into him in A New Hope. And so it strikes me that the Millennium Falcon provides transformation for Han Solo in a number of ways there as well. I mean, by being currency that can be traded, literally taking him away from the roots that he wanted to escape, and by providing him that space to be himself and figure out who he was. You know, was he with the smuggler? Is he running with the resistance? It provides him that vehicle to do both. And so I love that aspect about him. And I feel like I could do an entire show about the amazingness and the sim symbolic nature of the Falcon in those ways. The other interesting thing about the characteristics of the Falcon is that it looks different depending on who the owner is. And, and the two owners that we see, I mean, maybe the three owners that we see are Lando Calrissian and the Falcon under his ownership is very swank and very, you know, smooth. He's a, you know, he's kind of the, he's kind of more of a ladies man. The guy has an entire room full of capes, you know, and we see it change when it becomes the possession of Han Solo and it has a much more maybe rudimentary kind of purpose, which is that of a smuggler. It's a little bit dirtier. It's a little bit more raw. And, and I think it even goes further than that is the ship it changes when it's rediscovered on Jakku, when Ray and Finn and BB-8 get on it. And it seems, you know, it's been dilapidated and neglected. And so it does physically change depending on the owner or what its situation has been. And I read, and I'll link up to this one as well, in, in writing Solo, the movie, um, Kasdan, the man who, and he and his son were the two writers of that story, they were very uh, mindful about making this ship look different depending on who the owner was. And so I love that that layer of thoughtfulness was placed onto this character because, it, you know, it's almost like the Millennium Falcon then has a wardrobe change depending on what scene it's in, which is fascinating as well because you don't usually, you don't see that with other ships. The other thing that I love in the character development of this ship, there's also a really pivotal moment that I love in the character development of this ship. And it happens after Rey and Finn and BB-8 have escaped Jakku in the Millennium Falcon and they get, they get taken over by, we discover it's Han Solo and Chewbacca. And when Ray realizes who has just stepped on this ship and the import of who this is and who what this ship is, you can tell that there is there's a weightiness to this, right? It's not just any ship. It is the Millennium Falcon and the entire um, kind of legend of what it has carried and what it has done and what the people on this ship have done for the resistance 
hit her and Finn all at once. They both know it seems slightly different variations of the story itself, but both of them know this. There's lore about this ship throughout the galaxy, and it's fascinating to see her reaction to it, so you can go watch it. The second thing that I love about the Millennium Falcon, and this might be kind of more than one thing all rolled into one, is we know that it's fast, and we know that way back from A New Hope, you know, there's the legend that Han Solo flew the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. The Wikipedia says the Falcon is the second fastest ship, and I didn't look up what the first is. But I'm wondering, based on the story that we also learned in Solo, if the Millennium Falcon isn't even more importantly, one of the smartest ships in the galaxy. I don't think that it's necessarily the fastest because it's a light freighter. We know that based on what it was built. We know that Lando Calrissian also made some modifications to it so it runs really fast. But I think the changer to all this is that it has the navigational system and the kind of the brain, if you can call it that, of a droid, but it has the brain of L337 on board, which is an, I mean, really, of characters that are in the Star Wars galaxy. This is another amazing one. L3, as I will call her, is a droid. And she shows up in Solo, a Star Wars story. She is Lando Calrissian's kind of sidekick. The really important thing about her is it's the first time within Star Wars that we've seen a droid that is a female. The other really super interesting thing is her origin story. She built herself, I don't even understand how that works, but from astromech parts and protocol droid parts. And so that makes her a really interesting mix of both droids that would be like R2-D2 and droids that would be like C-3PO. So she built herself. After she is shot down in a gunfight, she's not savable. Part of her is brought back on the ship. Lando is un inconsolable. and as they reach the, the Kessel Run, they realize they need a better navigation system to be able to make the jump itself or make the, to calculate the flight path. So they put the brain of L3 into the Millennium Falcon, and that allows them, I would argue, to be able to make the Kessel Run. And it's because they can navigate through the fields itself, not, I don't think, because of the speed. Without that onboard brain, I don't know that they would have been able to make it. And I love this because it puts a lot of power. It kind of plays with the, I mean, can you say, I mean, it plays with what are gender roles? Because I mean, this is a droid and a spaceship. And I love that part of it is clearly has been presented as female, but I think it brings into question the entire thing of what is female? What is male? How does it fit into, you know, non-human entities? I don't even understand that. And I really love that there's, they kind of seem to be making a joke of some of the gender roles and communication and all of that, because in The Empire Strikes Back, there's this really amazing moment where C-3PO goes to interface with the Millennium Falcon, and he says something about this droid has a very unusual dialect. And if we kind of reflect back on it, well, it is the dialect of L3. She's a self-built droid. C-3PO was built by Anakin as a child and he is a protocol droid and so he's trying to interface probably with a droid that doesn't really speak the same exact language as him and that made herself so of course this is a really humorous moment made only funnier when we realize exactly who he was probably interfacing with the next thing I love about the Millennium Falcon is that it's part of something that's really 
bigger than itself as as a ship and as a character. It's part of the resistance for sure. And I think that's really important and interesting from even the political climate that we find ourselves in. Like what what supports a resistance? And it asks some really interesting questions, at least to me. But it also is part of something bigger in itself in the way that it it does engage with the various different important characters that are within the Star Wars universe. You know, we we know that Obi-Wan and Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia all of these people, and then later the next set of really big characters, all of them have been on this ship. And so it really is a bigger part of the story. And I really like that part of it, that it is central, but it's also bigger than it just being a spaceship that's taking people places. Uh, the other thing that I really love, this would be the fourth one that I'm on, is that it has a reputation and it's kind of got some notoriety, but maybe not always in the best way. And I love that about a ship, that they've given it something that, I mean, I guess in another way, takes it way beyond itself. The Millennium Falcon is known by the First Order, and it's known by the dark side, whatever iteration that is. Um, and we hear even Finn say something to the effect of, oh, oh yeah, those stormtroopers, they hate this ship, and they will do whatever it takes to try and get it you know, out of the sky. So I really love that it kind of strikes fear or like, you know, whatever in the heart of the other side when they see it, they want to take it down. Because I think that's really interesting. And I think giving a ship that kind of a reputation is important. <laughs> it makes it something, you know, it gives it some heaviness to it. Number five, which is really closely related to it having a reputation, is that it also is a symbol of hope for the resistance in whatever way that they are fighting at the moment. And I think it's really wonderful that something can strike fear in one side, but then also remind another side of what hope means. As I said, it's often in many of the films, the Falcon is the thing that's transporting the people to go do the next thing that they need to do for the resistance. In The Last Jedi, it is the ship that is carrying the only bit that is left of the Resistance off to the new adventure. They, it takes them off of Crate, which is the planet they're on, and out to regroup. And, you know, it's got Leia and Rey and Finn, BB-8, Poe, Dameron, and, you know, it has a very tiny group of war-torn fighters. And then I, I believe the last scene there is when the children on another planet look up and they see, you know, a spaceship flying through the, the sky, that is the Millennium Falcon. It's taking the last Jedi off to wherever they're going to regroup so that resistance continues and that the hope continues. And there's also that really great moment in several of the films where, you know, the fighting's happening and, you know, it doesn't, it's not clear if the resistance is going to win. And then out of the blue, literally, or the black sky, here comes the Millennium Falcon and everyone knows, oh, we're going to be all right. You know, like, we're going to win this fight. This is the turning of the tide. And I love that about a ship. Number six is that the Falcon is always waiting for the right people. I kind of said that it's a great getaway car. And... But I think there's something a little bit bigger about it. Like it has that presence about it, that it is, it's there, it's it's conveying the hope and that it is waiting for our favorite resistance characters to come back and our favorite, our, our favorite people who are dealing with the force that they can come back and they have this, this bastion of hope waiting for them. So 
in a new hope it was waiting uh in the the bay so that you know the bay of the empire's um ship and our our favorite characters could leave on it um on jakku and i find this one really interesting so i'm going to footnote this one too on jakku it was waiting for ray which makes me wonder and this will be my only kind of what if scenario that i'm going to run in this whole thing is what if the millennium falcon was the thing that brought Rey and or her family to Jakku. And it was there and waiting for her for 30 years as she kind of advanced into becoming a woman and would understand that it was time to leave this rock. You know, is that her family waiting for her? Is that the symbolism of of the Millennium Falcon being on that planet? It seems like no, it's no coincidence that it's there. And it's no coincidence that that ship and that woman are on the same planet together. But I could go into the what ifs on that forever. The Falcon is also the thing that picked up Luke as he was hanging off the Cloud City and lost his arm after, you know, the Luke, you are my father, or your, that whole scene and the culmination of him hanging off the bottom of the Cloud City, ironically escaping again from Lando, which had been the, the Falcon's former owner. And I love the visual of how the Millennium Falcon is sitting down the mountain on that uh, island that I should have looked up the name of. But while Rey is training with Luke in um, The Last Jedi, that Chewie, the faithful <laughs> co-pilot, is sitting down there with the Falcon. And it is waiting for these two really important characters to do whatever it is they need to do. And it's, it's almost like it holds space for them there. It's a tie back to the thing. And I love that it is, again, waiting for Rey to do the next thing, next thing that she, do, she does. Number seven here. The Falcon itself seems to be an indicator of who our important characters are in the grand, grand arc of the Star Wars story. So we see that it makes a connection with Han Solo. It makes a connection with, with Chewbacca. Like, these guys intuitively know how to fly this plane and how to use this plane. And I find that really interesting. And we also see that carrying over in the person of Rey and that Finn as well seems to be able to operate this ship. So I think there's some sort of like sense of these people are central and there's something special about their abilities. And there's a really great moment too there where Han and Rey, they seem to be connected in a special way. And it's about the ship. There was, you know, they can both fly the ship. They both have this really intuitive understanding about how the ship works. They finish each other's sentences about the ship. It's amazing. And it it is because of the Millennium Falcon being there and being a connector for them that I feel like is a really amazing, an amazing way to extend the plot. And then I come to number eight and why I would want to be the Millennium Falcon is it's a home. And that part gives me goosebumps and makes me want to cry a little bit, but there's that really pinnacle moment in The Force Awakens when after Han and Chewbacca come back on the ship and um, Ray and Finn and BB-8 have stowed away in the cargo bins where Han Solo walks back onto his ship after 30 years of being away and says, Chewie, we're home. And there's a way, the diction and the way with which Harrison Ford delivers the word home, that it just resonates in this really beautiful way that kind of makes my heart ache. I don't know, there's something very special about the sense of returning home and finding your home. And I think that it's one of those really, that line itself of, of Chewie, we're home and home being the Millennium Falcon, it does seem to be the continuation of a character arc for Han Solo himself. Because he, as I said, he's returned to the ship after 30 years. And this ship represents something for him that I don't, 
I don't get the sense that Han Solo has anywhere else. He's been a smuggler. He's been, you know, kind of a rogue character that doesn't have roots anywhere. And that he will call this ship his home, I think, is a really strong indicator that either there's been a shift in who he is and he recognizes he needs some sort of roots or that he needs a physical place to call his own. The other really interesting thing to me is that both Han Solo and his ship, the Falcon, have both come from the place of Corellia. The ship was built by the Corellian Engineering Corporation, and that is the same planet. They don't meet on, the ship and Han Solo don't meet on the planet, but it's the same planet that Han was escaping when he left um, and had been that kind of enslaved orphan character that we first saw in Solo. So there is an arc that's continued for this, and I think in Han saying, Chewie, we're home, it feels like he recognizes this is a piece of me. This is a part of where I'm from. They're both from Karelia. And this is my home. This is my place. And a sense that he had missed it. And it had been stolen out from under him. We don't really know that whole story. Maybe we'll learn it or not. And I have to say that that moment of its home kind of resonated for me as a fan because I really sensed as well. Um, it struck back a chord with me of being... Um, I think I was five when I first saw uh, A New Hope. And the person, uh, the character of Chewbacca was actually the thing that stood out for me the most. And I remember sitting in those seats as a little bitty kid and just looking up at this movie screen that was so big. It was one of the biggest things I thought I'd ever seen. I may not have seen a lot of movies in the theater before that. But I remember seeing Chewbacca and just thinking, he's so big. Like, And so that sense of like, these people have returned home there was a sense of me returning to that little person as a five-year-old and the magic that a movie can create. So those are my eight reasons if I could be a spaceship why I would choose to be the Millennium Falcon. Thanks you guys so much for tuning in on this one and thanks for sticking to the end. I hope you found some insights, some humor, maybe you love Star Wars and you love spending a little time with your favorite ship. If you'd like to email me and provide any kind of thoughts on it, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at jumpstartyourjoy at gmail.com or you can find me. I will post pictures. I'm posting pictures of myself with Chewbacca <laughs> and maybe some other really fun Star Wars things over on Instagram. And I'm jumpstartyourjoy over on Instagram. Drop me a note there. I would love to see what you're up to and um, follow along with your adventures in the real life as well and if you want to find out more about some of the links or see that pivotal chewy we're home moment oh uh, i will embed that to the show notes which are over on the website jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash falcon <laughs> spelled like the bird f-a-l-c-o-n next week on the show i do have i had said that sharon prentice would be on this week i had mistaken my interview date but Sharon Prentice will be joining me she's a psychotherapist and the author behind Becoming Starlight and in that book she is exploring shared death experiences she had a shared death experience with her husband who passed away and she she is coming on to share about how that brought her closer to God and I cannot wait to share this interview with you guys so I hope you'll come back next week for a return to interviews and until then I hope that your days are filled with so much Millennium Falcon joy. (laughs) 